Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message from Real Life Community, where we talk about connecting with God and others, growing in Christ-likeness, and sharing God's life with the world. My name is Sarah Comer, and I serve each week as Connections Pastor, making sure that you know that there is a God and a community that loves you and wants to go through the seasons of life with you. You can find us at reallifecommunity.org, and we would love to meet you on Facebook or Instagram. Until then, we hope this message meets you right where you are and helps you know just how deep the Father's love is for you. This morning, as we uh, get started, we are in week three of our Lent series, and I just want to say, how many of you have you've given something up for Lent? If you want to, all right, some of you have given something up. Has it been easy? Has anyone had a struggle with it? Okay, I've learned I like sugar. And I'm a little cranky sometimes when I don't have sugar, but it's a good stretch. So um, this, as I think about scripture and I think about my um, growing up and reading the Bible and understanding scripture and uh, digging into it, I'm going to kick this cord out so I don't trip over it. All right. Um, I think about um, things that I bring to reading scripture. And I remember as a kid, I brought innocence to scripture, right? Sometimes it was things that I would read it and I would be like, um, wow, that's so cool, and it maybe wasn't something very cool, or I would, I would not understand something. Um, and so I, I brought innocence to Scripture as a kid. This morning as we get started, I want you to turn to your neighbors, and I want you to share with them what are the kinds of things that we bring to reading Scripture. Um, whether it's innocence or what are the, the attitudes, the the maybe struggles, what things affect the way that you read scripture, okay? Go. All right. So a couple weeks ago when we started this, I encouraged you something. I encouraged you to allow yourselves to be unsettled during the season of Lent. And my challenge to you continues today, allow yourself to be unsettled. I've been unsettled this week in the last couple of weeks as I have prepared today's message. Uh, When you talk about things like eye gouging and lust, you become a little bit unsettled. And so let's um, read this morning from Matthew 5, 
verses 27 through 30. You have heard the commandment that says, you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Wow. Sometimes we read scripture. I remember reading that as a kid going, why would I poke my eye out? I just did not understand. Innocence, right? And so we've read this passage. You know, we read it as a child. You read it with innocence. But I think um, we've read this with some other things. And one of those things, I think, we've read it with shame. Um, Shame because of... um, and this is gonna. This is like. Uh, this is my weird part. I'm gonna lay this out here, okay? I'm talking about a little bit today about patriarchal society, and when when we start saying things like that, people start going, "Oh, the woman preacher is talking about patriarchy." <laughs> You're right. I am for just a minute. I'm not one to bandwagon things like patriarchy, but today I am touching on it, okay? Because this is one of those things that, as I read scripture, I look back over some things, and I've I've had lots of questions about it, and so I think. One of the ways we've looked at this scripture is we've said, if you look at a woman with lust, um, you've committed adultery in, with her in your heart. And this is talking to the man. But yet we've taken this passage of scripture and we've said to women, you better be more modest so the men don't lust. Okay? Um, and then there's things like guilt. We read it because of things that we've done and we're like, I am too far gone. I better just cut my arms, my eyes, my hands, all of me off because I'm just broken right? And then we read it with anger over things like um, brokenness in relationships that we've experienced. We, re- we recognize it over things like um, affairs and abuse and the things that happen as a result of lust. And so these are, these are hard things, you guys. This, this passage, um, in some ways, has been misused to hammer home points that maybe are not the intended message that were to be passed on here. Um, This passage is actually, it's a passage of restoration and love and hope. But I don't know that that's the message that I've always heard. Um, I, I grew up in a church where there was some serious hellfire and brimstone preaching. I, I am who I am today because of that. Okay. That doesn't mean It doesn't mean it was all flawed, and it doesn't mean it was all perfect. But I know that I've heard this passage in some ways that make me go, oh, maybe that's not what we intended for it to say. So what is lust, right? Um, Lust is not, it's not a noun, it's not a thing, it's it's an action. It is the um, intentional uh, desire and acting upon a desire of something or someone that is not yours. So lust isn't always just after the opposite gender or the same gender. Lust can be after something that someone else has. We can lust after the things that our neighbors have. There's another word called covet, right? We covet what everyone else has. I am substitute teaching one day a week. 
and I am, I'm watching lust among teenagers. Do you want to know one of the number one areas I'm watching lust among teenagers? Tennis shoes. No joke. It's a whole revolution. Ask any of our teens here. It's a revolution. You got to have the right shoes. Am I right, boys? Sitting there? Yeah. Shoes matter, don't they? Yeah. Shoes matter. But the problem is that we begin to look at everything they have and go, I just want that. And so sometimes we've had kids who have stolen things to get that that they want. And that is lusting. That is coveting what your neighbor has. And then you look at lust in the form of um, lusting after someone else. And you're like, oh, but, you know, we fall into these things. And lust, lust doesn't lead to love. Lust leads to sin. Lust causes brokenness. Actually, lust is a form of brokenness because there's something that led to that lust that caused you to want that thing that wasn't yours to have. Um, We shared about the things, you know, you all shared with each other the things that we bring to our understanding of Scripture, and one of those things that we bring is patriarchal influence. Um, And I I just finished a book. It actually took me quite a while to read that someone had given me on on the influence of patriarchy in society and how it wasn't necessarily God's intended plan for things to turn out the way they did, but the brokenness and sin of Adam and Eve in the garden threw everything haywire. And so here we find ourselves in this. um, And in this passage, Jesus is trying to humanize women in a society where they are dehumanized. Because actually, if you notice, um, he's, well, he's talking to the to men here, but I want to I give you a couple other instances in the Bible. One of those is in John 8, and it's the passage of the woman who's caught in adultery. All right, this is, again, let me go back to my teenage, I'm going to take you back into my teenage Bible reading years. And I'm like, where's the man? Seriously, my teenage girl self is going, how come they've got her up in front and not the man that she had adultery with? So they've got this woman and they brought her before Jesus and they're like, we got a stoner. She had adultery or she, she was in a, she's an adulterer. And Jesus, man, he's so cool. Like for real, he, yeah, he's just revolution. I, I've been, I've loved Jesus for a long time. And the last few, really the last few months of my digging into scripture and reading some things, I am just continually being challenged at how Jesus stepped across the line and challenged everything that was a normal in society. And he does that here. He's like, all right, let's stone her. And so, you know, these guys have lined up and they've got their rocks and they're standing there holding their rocks and they're like, let's go. And Jesus is like, hold on. Those of you who are without sin can throw the stone first. Huh. Because then all of a sudden you begin to see they start dropping their rocks. Why? Because no one is without sin. And they walk away and Jesus looks at her and she's, I guarantee you, she's like, she's prepared to die. And she looks at him and she's like, why'd they walk away? And he's like, they're gone. You go too. You're forgiven. Oh, okay. 
Then the other story is a story um, in Genesis 38. It's Judah and Tamar. Anybody know this story? If you don't, I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. Okay, there's a whole lot to this story. But Judah willingly has relations with a woman who he believes to be a prostitute. Okay, well, there's one part that's messed up. Little does he know that the woman that he has relations with is actually his daughter-in-law. There's messed up part two. Okay, now, take it a step further. He finds out that his daughter-in-law, now remember, he's not realizing who it is. He finds out that his daughter-in-law is pregnant, and he says, she needs to die, but she needs to be burned to death because she had adultery, and she's pregnant. Until he finds out that she is pregnant with his child. Oh. Well, maybe we shouldn't stone her. Because I don't want to be in trouble. What? He's, he's real quick to point fingers until he realizes that he is a part of the problem. How many times are we a part of the problem? Matthew 5, Jesus, um, he emphasizes the shared responsibility of, um, and that the men in culture, right, it, culture in that time, and I'm going to say it in this time, can easily put the blame on women. Um, how, if you grew up in the 90s or had kids in the 90s, it was all about modesty culture and purity and purity rings. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with these things, but I'm saying that m maybe we, we steered the boat in a little bit of the wrong direction here. Um, yes, we need to treat our bodies with respect in the Lord. But Jesus is saying here, men, man, you lusted, cut your hand off, gouge your eye out. What he's saying, he's not, he's not saying here it's the woman's fault. He's saying, you have the issue, now deal with your issue. Okay, it's, again, it can be easy for us to say, well, but if so-and-so hadn't, then I wouldn't. No, there is an issue that needs to be dealt with. It's tough stuff, y'all. This is, again, I'm telling you, I'm sweating here today. Um, there are examples where women are, um, they're used, they're held responsible for the sexual ethics of men around them. Look at those two examples of those two passages of scripture. The women were held responsible. Where are the men? And how come they're not being held responsible? He shifts the focus from the lust, or from the woman, to the lust of the man. Women are more than mere objects. Now, this can go two ways, y'all. Don't, don't get me wrong here. This is not all about the men today. I'm not downing all the men in here. I'm saying women can be the one lusting too and should be held responsible for their lust. Women can be the ones coveting something else, too, and should be held responsible. Jesus is trying to humanize what is dehumanized. So we have to take responsible, responsibility for our sin. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. Now, let's, I want to look at what this is intended versus how it's interpreted. Um, again, as a new reader of the Bible, this can be confusing. Why in the world would you poke your eye out or cut your arm off, right? Right? 
I thought that as a kid, and I guarantee you people who are new Christians might read the Bible and go, wow, there's some weird stuff in here. I love when I get messages from friends who are reading the Bible, and they're like, I do not understand this. And I'm like, man, I didn't the first time I read it either. These words are intended to prevent the tragic act or acts that can come from lusting. Coveting another human leads toward destruction. It doesn't lead toward love. Remember, it leads toward sin. It leads toward brokenness. It can lead toward things like rape and abuse. And um, it can lead toward manipulation and control. And Jesus wants us to avoid lusting at all costs. Now, the problem with this is that um, culture has messed this up, right? Culture, including church culture. Um, Rather than opening up about it, what do we do? We tuck it in and hide it. We don't want anybody to see our stuff. We hide it. Uh, We cover it up. We, We keep it in private because heaven forbid it get out there. Well, I'll tell you what, in some situations, I wouldn't want my stuff out there either because of the way that things have been handled and the way we've told people. We just had a conversation with someone recently who said they asked a question and were told, said, blasphemer, get out of here. Well, if I've been told that at some point in my life, why would I admit my sin in front of church people? It'd be really hard to do. Um, And then there's these things that we've messed up as a church, and what do we do? Rather than then provide hope and restoration, we gossip about the person and their sin. And we talk about them with each other rather than love them through the struggle that they're in the midst of. Shame on us. Where is healing and restoration in this? Um, What eye-gouging systems do we have? I've asked Jeremy to come up here with me for just a minute. Um, Eye-gouging is the process So, okay, eye gouging is not necessarily poking your eyeball out, thank goodness. It is the process by which we expose sin and deal with it, okay? Y'all, if someone had said that to me as a kid, this whole passage of scripture would have changed my life because I did not understand it. I seriously, I mean, I got, I kind of got the bigger picture, but to say eye gouging is the process by which you, okay, here is my sin, now let's deal with this, right? So, Let's describe eye gouging in the eyes of some people, of some of the things that that people have said. um, When they think of eye gouging, how has their, their, here's my sin, let's deal with it. How has that happened? I I think one of the ways that I think, maybe, there we go. I think one of the ways that we, gouge out eyes, but we don't necessarily deal with it, is shame. Uh, We get people feeling really bad about their stuff, and we think, well, that will be enough to cause transformation. But I think what we're finding is shame actually pushes people away, many of them never to return. And I'm amazed at how Jesus uh, didn't shame the woman that was brought to him who had been caught in adultery. He loved her, but something about the way he loved her and who he was caused her to change her life. Guilt. Guilt's another one. Oh, you did that. But remember, we can't let that person, because they did, or they are, and they're guilted into things. Tongue lashing. Yeah. Mm. 
We give them the what for. Yeah. Well, let me tell you what's going to happen to you because you did this. And sometimes that tongue lashing actually doesn't happen in front of the person. It happens everywhere but in front of the person. It goes back to that talking to everyone else about them. Yeah. And it's usually the people who are caught in the midst of of, of the sin. They know everyone's talking about them, but no one has the strength or the tenacity to come to them. And deal with that, which, again, pushes people away mm-hmm. because that just doesn't seem to resonate with the story of Jesus who comes right into the homes of people and gets right in the middle of things to love them to a point of transformation. And then I think there's, there's removal and shunning. Um, removal, uh, we've seen this at a pastoral level where mm-hmm. remove them from their leadership role, which we're not saying that's wrong, that we actually think that that's right. But often what happens is we remove them, and that's where we let it go. No, 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 no. There's no restoration. We should be pulling up a chair going, okay, we are removing you from this position of leadership, but we are surrounding you as the body of Christ to walk through this struggle with you because we want to see you restored. And this is messy. Yes. So let's just say, uh, in this case, a pastor crosses the lines with someone in the congregation all of a sudden now you have a pastor who has crossed the lines and you have a parishioner for whom great hurt has been inflicted. And there's many ways that that looks, right? So it's messy to try and work through this as a community with both parties. I just haven't seen very many examples of how it's done well, except for those few situations where I've seen churches get really bold and honest about what sin does in our midst and works to restore both parties. Yeah. And I think the other thing that we've seen churches do is say they either stop talking to the person completely or they just say, you need to leave. That breaks my heart. Sometimes it's, their, it's the awkwardness of the situation, right? I remember at our last church there was a couple who um, they, they were married, they had some, some issues, they separated, yet they both came to church, which I, I was excited about. But I was also like, okay, what do we do here? And invariably what you find is people side with one party over the other when both are broken and need the church to redeem them. Yeah. So we need eye-gouging systems, which is an awkward way to say this, but it requires that a congregation – come together around the the principles of Christ and do the messy work of restoration. So what does eye gouging the way Jesus would eye gouge look like for real life? I think one of the things for real life, it looks like the first of the three things that we really champion is live real, Mm -hmm. right? Live real, know Jesus, find hope. Well, if we can't live real, we're just hiding our junk and we, we, we can't let Jesus deal with it because we're not even dealing with it. So create space for people to live real, to struggle, to be honest, to be open. That doesn't necessarily mean we're going to pray to everyone in front of the congregation and say, well, this is my stuff. But it does require that we have small groups of people who are willing to say, I choose to journey with you through this. I think it also looks like Admitting the fact that just because someone comes, we, we don't necessarily have the answers when someone comes forward with brokenness. 
y'all, there are times, I just sat with a, college, a group of college students, I taught Jeremy's class for him on Thursday at Trevecca, and it's pastoral care and counseling, and I sat with this group of students and I gave them scenarios to work through um, from their limited knowledge of how would you deal with this situation in ministry. And one of the things I said is, you do not always have to know what you're, you don't, you don't always have to have the answer. But you have to be willing to step into the muck with someone. There are so many times where we have not had an answer, but I know how to sit next to you, and I know how to listen, and I know how to love you. It requires that we love the person first. Yeah. And not be pushed away by their brokenness. Yeah. Sometimes it's the brokenness that actually causes some problems for us because we don't want to deal with our own stuff. But creating the kind of community where people feel comfortable admitting sin. Do you have someone in your life where you can say, this is what I am doing, have done, this is my struggle, this is my temptation, this is my... Do you have someone like that? I'm going to guess the majority of you in here would say no. Even spouses don't know that they can share that with their spouse. And we know this to be true because this has been one area of ministry where it's happened to us over and over again in the church. A spouse comes to us and says, I'm dealing with this, but I can't tell my spouse. Because what will they think of me? Yeah. We've created the complete wrong narrative here. It should be, well, my spouse will love me even deeper because of my honesty. But again, that's the messiness of it. So we have to, another thing that we have to do is we have to love the person more than we love sharing their details. And what I mean by that is uh, we have to love them enough not to necessarily stand and talk to everyone else about what's going on. We've got to love them through and respect them and, and keep their privacy. There are some things that have to be talked about sometimes. And that when you become a community where someone can admit that they're struggling, that's not as difficult to do. Let me suggest this. Don't be willing to just pray for that person, which might look like, hey, I've got a prayer request. We need to pray for so-and-so because they're struggling with this. If you're going to do that, make sure that you have first gone to the person. If you're willing to go to someone else about that person's stuff, would you be willing to go to that person and say, hey, I love you. I'm, I'm here with you. I'm willing to journey with you. That's tough. Yeah. So let's stop. I think we call it, I think we call it gossip. I think, I think that's the term. Maybe I'm wrong. I think it looks like knowing your mental health resources. Um, this is not something that also we've done very well as, as a church. Um, I know I've stood before someone who said, if you struggle with mental illness, it's a sin. It's sin in your life. That if you just pray more, it'll get taken care of. Yeah. Wrong. Y'all... God created us as bodies, body, soul, mind, emotions, relationships. Why is it that we are willing to go to a doctor for our physical needs, but not to a doctor for our mental needs? I can tell you, having dealt with depression and postpartum, um, postpartum depression and anxiety, I remember sitting in front of a counselor for the first time, humiliated to be sitting in front of him. And I looked at him and I said, I shouldn't be here. And he looked at me and he's like, Why? I said, because I send people to you, I don't come to you. Right. And he said, Christy, you of all people should be here with me regularly. He said, because you don't just carry your own burdens, but you and Jeremy carry the burdens of your people. He said, so yes, you should be here. He said, if I had my way, it would be a requirement for people to see a counselor. 
because you need someone to confide in and to trust. Church, the generation that is comprised of um, those who are in college, high school, even middle school, is a generation that is the most uh, anxious, depressed, dealing with mental illness than any generation ever before. I just sat in a board of trustees meeting at Trevecca Nazarene University, and we heard the statistics about mental illness. It's overwhelming. You could probably walk down the street, see someone in that kind of age range, and you could probably assume that they're dealing with depression, anxiety, and you would probably be right. That's how rampant it is. But if we as a church, if all we do is tell someone, you should just pray more and it'll go away, we're going to lose a whole generation. Because the reality is there are, some, there are some people who will walk through life with anxiety or depression. Can God heal them? Absolutely, he could. But it doesn't mean it always happens. And we've got to love people through those kinds of struggles. To disconnect our minds from our bodies creates these like parcels that we can disconnect, but God created us as a whole. And God's spirit at work in us can affect our spirit, but also our body. But I also know this, God has, God has equipped men and women who are trained professionals who can come alongside of people and deal with some of the, the, the mental stuff, the, the, the anxiety, the depression, the, all of that stuff. We, I, I don't want to like make, I, I don't want us to say, well, it's okay for you to, to be, a, be that way. But I do want us to say, it's okay for you to be that way because I still love you and I recognize that I need to be a part of your life and help dissuade the stress, the anxiety, and all that kind of stuff. Systems of confession. Now, by mm. this, I'm not saying we're going to have open mic and I'm going to make you parade up in front of everybody and list your sins for each week, okay? Because when we start talking about systems and confessions, some of you start sweating at the idea of it. But in a healthy church, we need to have systems where someone can come and say, I'm dealing with this. We got a phone call a few weeks back from someone who said, uh, hey, I need to talk to you. Uh, this is happening. And uh, this is in our, in our relationship. And Jeremy and I said, okay. And they said, um, they said, will you just, I'm not sure what to do. And we said, well, you need to talk to your spouse because they need to know that we know. But we said the most important thing we want you to tell them is this. There is no shame in letting them know that we know. We do not think any differently of that person. We recognize that they are human, that they are broken, and that they are in need of healing. Um, and that has opened up the door. And that's actually happened three times in the last three weeks where we've said no shame. Your pastors, these two right here, will actually respect you more for owning the stuff that's breaking your heart and your body and your mind and your relationships. We will actually respect you more than those of you who don't feel like you can share that at all and you hide it in and let it. Uh, someone once said, you know, if I just, I, I can deal with this on myself. I've got this. And that's especially a guy issue. Gentlemen, can I get an amen? We're like, I got this. I can figure this out on my own. You know, the, the trend is that you will try to do that on your own, 
and it'll actually get to the point where it, it, it blows up and it's worse than had you dealt with it back front. So here's my question, I think. Wives, will you commit to walking the hard road with your husbands? Husbands, will you commit to walking the hard road with your wives? Parents, will you do that with your kids? Kids, would you do that with your parents? What would it look like for us to say, uh, this is a phrase that one of us in here, she and I go back and forth on this one, not today, Satan, not today. Today is not going to be the day that you win out in my relationship with my husband and my wife or my spouse or my kids or my, not today. Today is the day that the truth of the gospel, the power of the resurrection is going to be alive and well in my life and it is going to bring restitution and restoration in my home. Can we be that people? Amen. And in our church. And in our church. Um, we need to be a, a place, we need to breed a culture that humanizes others, um, that recognizes that we're all broken people. And when we say things like, but I'm in the church, yep, we're a building of broken people who came to church. We should not expect, should we expect people to act differently? Yeah. I mean, you would hope that people who are living in a relationship with Christ, that their life reflects differently. However, we're still broken and we're still dealing with a broken world. So we shouldn't be a place where we got to come in here and have all our stuff together. We should be coming in here able to be real. When we look at Matthew 5, thank you. When we look at Matthew 5 and what it means to live in the kingdom of God, sexual ethics are a part of that kingdom. Friends, keep covenants, whether it is um, a marriage covenant, whether it is the covenant that you made to raise your children right, whatever that is, keep your covenants. Look broader. Jesus desires um, for us to center around the humanity of others, respect others, take responsibility for our own sins, and view others as humans worthy of dignity and respect rather than objects to be obtained. Value people over individual desires. Think about the Beatitudes and, and sexual ethics, the meek, the pure of heart, the merciful, the peacemaker. What do sexual ethics look like when you are possessing the Beatitudes? Uh, when you consider the greatest commandment and the second greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Think about sexual ethics in those lights. Um, these verses are more, about, more than just about keeping our sexual thoughts and actions in check. They are about living as disciples of Jesus Christ. Because when we are living as disciples, we have checks and balances, hopefully. Um, it's a daily choice and a discipline. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. In some of my, my biggest moments of anxiety, this has been my verse. Take captive the thoughts that are raging in my mind that are not my thoughts. They are thoughts from the enemy who wants to destroy what's going on in me. Take captive those thoughts and make it obedient to Christ. That line, not today, Satan. I've laid there in the middle of the night saying that, uh-uh. 
As a little girl, I used to say, Satan, pack your bags and get out of here. When I would wake up fearful in the middle of the night, I don't even remember who told me to say that. Somebody did. Maybe my dad. But I remember laying there as a girl, afraid at night, and saying, Jesus, help me. And Satan, you pack your bags and get out of here because there's no space for you in my life. And maybe we need to be saying that now. You know what? I'm dealing with this. Satan, pack your bags and get out of here because there's no room for you in my life. I'm struggling with this. Satan, get out of here. There's no room for you in my life. Take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. These verses are not, none of those verses that we talked about from Matthew, they're not intended to shame. They're intended to help us to love and to respect those around us and to accept responsibility for our own sin. It's about restoration, not condemnation. Sometimes we misinterpret the scripture. When we talk about misinterpreting scripture, we've started this group called Life in the Word on Wednesday nights, and our whole point of this, this group is to look at a passage of scripture and understand what it means. That's it. Nothing profound. No big Bible study book that we're doing. We're opening a Bible verse, and we are looking at where it came from, what context it's in, what does it say, and how does it apply to my life today. Come study the Word with us on Wednesday nights. We have a great time. Dig in. Looking at Scripture. We've heard the statement, um, and maybe you've heard this said about you, oh, they got themselves into that situation, let them get themselves out. In a very different context, Jeremy and I have said that, we've had that said about us. Man, what if Jesus stood before all of us and said, you got yourself into that situation, now get yourself out? That is not the Jesus I serve. He does not look at me and say, Christy, you got yourself into this, now you're on your own to get out. No. He looks at me and says, yeah, you did that, but guess what? Come on. I'm right there with you. Let's go through this. He's going to hold my hand. He's going to walk me through it. He's going to hold your hand. He's going to walk you through it. And if that's what our Jesus is doing, then that's what we should be doing with everyone around us in our church and in our lives. I'm going to walk you through this. Yeah, you're right. Sometimes people do get themselves into those situations. But that does not give us the excuse not to love them. Thank goodness Jesus doesn't say, get yourself out of it. You had a paper on your seat this morning that said, welcome you who are broken, imperfect, and sinners. We're glad you're here. I want you to take your paper. If you'll notice, all of you had it on your seat, meaning none of you is exempt from being broken, imperfect, or sinner. I, I told Jeremy, I kind of wanted to just put it on certain seats and see if everybody avoided the seats that I put those on. It would have been a fun experiment, but I didn't do it. Right? You look around and there's like people in certain rows and not in others. Because nobody wants to admit that we're broken, we're imperfect, and we are sinners. Can we just say that? I am broken. Say it right now. I am broken. How many of you can raise your hand and say, I am imperfect? Raise your hand. Yeah. We are. Wait, do it again. Raise your hand if you're imperfect. Keep your hand up in the air. Look around. Look around. Hallelujah! We're all imperfect. That means we're in this together. That means we bring our brokenness to the table when we come to church on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights and small groups and whatever else we're a part of. It means we're human. And guess what God says? I love you. I created you. You are good. 
and I want to see good things come out of you. I want you to take that paper. We're going to play a song here, and I want you to write on that paper. This is a moment of confession for you here. I'm not making you come up and stand in front of a microphone, but I am asking you to be honest this morning, and I'm asking everybody to do it. I want you to write an area of brokenness, an area of imperfectness, or an area of sin. I don't care what it is but I am asking that you do what we say and live real in these next few moments and write it out on that paper. And then you're going to come up here or hand it to someone else and have them bring it up here and lay it at the altar this morning. And then we'll close in prayer. Let's have a moment of honest confession. Everybody in this room, go. coming if you have yours still. But I don't know if you're like me, um, but this is something I need to lay down every day. Because probably what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick it back up. And I'm going to mess up again. And then i got to lay it down again. And then I'm going to say something again in this situation, and I'm going to pick it back up because I'm going to screw up again. I'm going to have to lay it back down again. And I'm going to pick it up and lay it down and pick it up and lay it down. But the point is, I listened to an author one time, and her favorite, the favorite thing I've ever heard her say is, imperfect progress. Hey, I'm going to pick it up again because I'm going to mess up. But my imperfect progress is I'm still taking steps forward even when I'm messing up. But I'm still choosing to lay it back down again. Imperfect progress. We're broken people. We live in a broken world. But we need to be making progress toward Christ. And eventually, you know what happens? I picked it up and I laid it down so many times that that, t- that last time I laid it down, Not today, Satan. That doesn't have control over me anymore. Oh, for the day that the things we lay down do not affect us anymore.
your heads with me. God, this morning, what lays right here at this altar is representation of probably a small fraction of the things that we have in our hearts right now. And Lord Jesus, these things that were laid down this morning, I pray that your hand would hold them down. Lord Jesus, when we're tempted to pick them back up, would we be reminded that you love us more than you love our sin? You created us for better than the things that drag us down. And God, may we, maybe we pick it back up and drop it a few times, but God, may it lose its power over us. May we be a place where we take responsibility for our own sins. Yeah, maybe our sins were the result of something someone else did to us or brokenness somewhere else in our life, but when we sin, it is us who sins, and may we take responsibility for that sin. And may we deal with our sin. May we have that eye-gouging system of saying, I need someone to walk through this with me. May our men in here look to each other and say, I need some men who can support me through this. May our women look to each other and say, I need some ladies who can come alongside me and walk through this. May our teenagers and our children say, I need a trusted adult to walk through this with me. But may we become a hospital and a place of healing rather than a place of condemnation and gossip and shame and guilt. May we be a place of restoration and hope, a place where people find you, all because we're willing to be honest with each other. May we love each other more than we love the details of our lives. God, I pray for the things that people in here are struggling with. Maybe they've never admitted them to someone else. I pray that they would find a way to do that even this week. And God, that they would find healing and hope and restoration from those things. Freedom in you. God, you love us. You created us for far more. Help us not to settle. In your name, amen. Stand with me this morning. As you go today, it's my hope and prayer that in all that you do this week, that you would be beacons of God's hope and light and grace to those that are around you. That as you look at each other, that maybe you would reach out to someone else in this building this week and say, I need you. And that you would be received with the kind of grace that we talked about today. And that we would become that place of hope and that hospital for the hurting. And that as you do that this week, that you would be a blessing to others and that the Lord would bless you in return. Have an amazing week. We'll see you soon. Thank you for joining us today. We would love for you to join us in person. Our address is 2022 East Main Street in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. If you'd like to make a donation to keep our podcast ministry going, you can do so online at reallifecommunity.org. Thanks again for listening.